Welcome back, everybody, to the Unregulated Podcast, episode number 41 here on June 18th. Juneteenth. 40, 41, Jake Gibbs number, one of my favorite Yankee players. He's a catcher. He's Thurman Munson's backup. So Mikey Andujar wears the number now, but for me, it'll always be Jake Gibbs. Right on. And I am recording from the tepid Las Vegas, Nevada region where it tapped, tapped around 117 today. Fortunately, I've spent most of the last few days working indoors, but also visited the chilliest place in Las Vegas a couple of nights ago. Oh, yeah. Hockey. Caught the Las Vegas Golden Knights play- playoff hockey game against the Canadiens. Hey, did they tell you? Do they keep that ice cold with wind power? I don't know, but it was nice in there. I didn't want to leave. I'll tell you what, man. I've been to a lot of hockey games. I've been to the Joe. I've been to the Caps games. I've, I've uh, uh, watched uh, in hope, but uh, always been disappointed uh, at Sabres games. It is not just hockey here in Las Vegas, Mr. McKenna. It is a show. As it's, you, early, well, it's Vegas, right? What are their choices? As you would have expected, showgirls, cheerleaders <laughs> hanging out in our row. They were they were moving around from from section to section. Live DJ. I mean, it was uh, it was entertaining all the way through. Plus, it's decent hockey too. I mean, they've they've got a pretty good team. In all fairness, a dead DJ would kind of be a downer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Usher rang the bell, the opening bell. You know, not stars. Uh, Wayne Newton was hanging out uh, from Aldehyde and all. Is he still alive? He's still alive, man. He's still playing in Vegas, baby. Lord. Anyhow, uh, yeah, it's been. uh, It was a fun game. Uh, Definitely, they love their they love their hockey here in Las Vegas. You should move to you should move to Vegas. Forget Florida. (laughs) All right, we got a lot of work. We got a lot to catch up on here. Want to start with? Do you want to start with some G seven? Sure. Nothing says uh, diversity like a bunch of old white white men and women sitting around socially distanced on a platform, right? It it um, the whole thing looked kind of ridiculous. <laughs> all the stage stuff was, you know. Uh, I mean, totally... I'm, assuming, I'm assuming all those guys have been vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, clearly they were staging it all because then at their socials they were mi- they were mixing up with no masks, obviously. What? What are you saying? Are you saying that our leaders lie to us? Uh, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just uh, pointing out what I've seen, what I've seen on the twitters. Uh, the twitters don't lie, apparently. I've heard that. So, so I want to play a clip from Bojo, who I, I won't play his pre-canned one, uh, the 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 B-roll stuff, but I want to play his his opening. He, Bojo seems to be losing it. Um, I think he seems to be losing it. Tom, he's a grown man who can't comb his own hair. No, I he could play the part of a conservative much better. I think he was much com- more comfortable faking being conservative than he is faking being this new enlightened build back better guy uh you know you remember the clip we played when he was doing his uh when biden had the little climate zoom with all the leaders right with the bunnies 
Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The bunny hugging. Well, this kind of reminds me of that. Uh, he's going to have to stick to the script a little bit better. Yeah, I was going to say he probably needs some note cards. Yeah, he needs to improve his game. His game a little bit. So let me play this clip. Are building back better together, and uh, building back greener, and building back fairer, and building back more equal, and uh, I more in, in, in a more gender neutral and a, a more feminine way. What? What? <laughs> I mean, he's. <laughs> what the hell is he talking about? Great question. How does Great one question. build back better in a more feminine way? Well, first he started with the uh, gender neutral, but then he shifted gears to, to a more feminine way. So, I, okay. Uh, so you tell me how, what, tell me how that's going to work. I have no idea. Hey, I, I, whatever it it's, we probably need to get Dr. Biden on the, on the case. Maybe she can help us with that. So anyway, um, there was a lot of, uh, uh talk about, uh, we're back. Uh, and I don't know what that means quite uh, quite candidly, but uh, Biden was, hmm, let's see. Uh, let me just do a clip from a press conference. Hold on, ready? Answer the first question. <laughs> I'm laughing too. They actually, I, well, look, I mean, he has made clear that uh, uh, the answer is, I believe he is in the past essentially acknowledged that he was uh for certain things that he would do or did do okay uh, i think that was the post putin press conference there I i'm assuming that's what it was I and mean uh there's a long pause where he looked like he was listening to someone <laughs> in his ear but i'm not going to go into conspiracy theories <laughs> it, it, I, I mean whatever how complicated is it just to say hey look you know the guy's a the guy's a professional killer, and now he runs a country, and that's just the way it is. You know, it, things things were done, things had to be done, and he did them, and that was that. It, yeah, it, I'm not so sure. It's the it's the I'm not sure I would care what answer it was if you know, as long as the pause wasn't. You correct. could like if you could look at him and think, okay, well at least he's string he's got a thought about it, and he's stringing it together in a cohesive way, right? And I don't. Maybe I'm making too much of this stuff, but uh, here's another one I'm going to play. This was when he was sitting down with the rest of the uh, very diverse crowd at the G7 roundtable. And uh, like I've said before, and I apologize for you too. Oh, I didn't but um, uh, we, um, uh, you know, there's a lot that uh, that is it, 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 it's happening. I used to. Always... <laughs> it just, it, it's, it's word salad. It's all set. It's all words. And who's he? Who's he constantly saying he's he going to get in trouble? Get in trouble. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, that. Uh, Circle back is, circle back is is managing that that part of the enterprise, right? And she's 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 giving him strict instructions. You know, follow the follow the follow the um, graph we've given you. Don't answer questions off topic, and you know, get out of there. Get out of there in ten minutes or less. 
and and then there's the uh, I don't know if you caught the Fox News uh, screenshot of his of his of his notes. Yeah, the note cards. Yeah. The note cards where he was instructed to bash on Trump. It, <laughs> Do you need note cards to bash on Trump? I mean, <laughs> it's funny because can't even remember that that was like your whole campaign. It's funny because a bunch of Obama guys are like taking a Twitter. Well, you know, I always took note cards to meeting, and I'm like to meetings. I'm like, yeah, of course you did. Um, you know, that, that's why you were straight A students at Harvard, but are incapable of independent thought. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's no surprise. It is no surprise that, that this crowd emphasizes note cards. And, you know, you think about it, he gets in trouble when he gets off the note cards. So I don't blame him. What I want to, a reporter asked, who are you going to get in trouble with? What I want a reporter to ask is, what penalty are you incurring when you, when you go off? <laughs> right. He doesn't get his, he doesn't get his pudding. <laughs> I, I, I have this terrible, his, I have this terrible fear that that is exactly what it is. No ice cream for dessert. <laughs> no ice cream for dessert. He won't get his uh, blue bell or whatever. <laughs> it, it, it's, I want somebody to ask that. Okay. What's the penalty? What are they going to do to you? You're the president of the United States. What can they do to you? So there's another clip where uh, I won't play it. I don't have it in front of me, but I'll put it in the show notes where he was wandering, literally wandering. And a reporter asked him a question and he was just like, huh? And he was like, really? Like he was sort of walking, like turning around to like walk back to her, you know, to engage like a real person. And Dr. Jill literally like leaped out, grabbed his arm and like swept him away. Yeah, I don't care. I would too. I mean, you got that one. And then, and then there's one more, uh, and this is a little, a touch of the old Joe. So I'll hit, I'll hit you. I'll hit us with this one to to show that there's still a little bit of fire in that belly occasionally. terrible thing about this the bad thing about this you know he's doing so well you know he, he showed a little vim and vinegar and and then he went back and apologized to him later on i don't know if you i don't know if you saw that that he went back and apologized to him later on i didn't catch that yeah he said he you know he apparently went to the back of the plane and said hey man i was out of line i shouldn't have blah blah blah, blah. i'm like no don't apologize that's the first time you ever like did something presidential what the hell do you do all the day anyway yeah, boom, there's a crash. You're supposed to like smack them around occasionally. Yeah. Like I said, it was the only glimmer and then he let it go. 
Uh, so anyhow, um, and then there's one uh, I don't have in front of me anymore. I should have kept it. It was really good. Um, Putin was interviewed by, uh, I guess, a N- NBC reporter. And he basically like, <laughs> I need to find this if I can find it uh, at some point while, while you're giving us imparting your wisdom uh um if i can go back and look for it but he basically interrupted the guy and said you know for a a country that claims to boast about their freedom of the press y'all y'all seem to not really care about anything other than how you want the the conversations to go like literally just sort of dressed the guy down and kind of shamed him a little bit right so so so, um so a friend of mine 20 years ago told me you know said hey look here's the secret about the white house press corps they're the ladies this is is regarding putin yeah but i mean okay sorry yeah i assume with somebody off the white house press corps who got the interview right i don't know i'll I'll look for it while we're talking is it that they're the laziest reporters ever they sit in the basement they sit in the basement of the people they're supposed to cover and they write basically what the people they are supposed to cover tell them to write you know at the 10 o'clock pen and pad at the noon um on camera and you know it it nobody breaks news out of the white house right it's always some other reporter who breaks news true i mean i you know i like some of those guys i don't like other of those guys but generally speaking they're not the hardest working guys in the business yeah, so one there's one uh, uh, analysis of it. Uh, sort of, they they did a comparison between po- Biden and Putin post meeting, and it says Biden showed up three hours late to a news event, answered five questions from pre-selected reporters, and and that is true. He admitted it uh, in the press release, in the press conference. Putin sat down for a 90-minute NBC News interview where he was grilled and played mind games with the reporter, quote, running circles around him. <laughs> so, I don't even know how old Putin is. They were saying that his health was like, for a little back, they said he had, they had he, there was something wrong with him. I got to think he's closing in on 70 because he's been president in Russia for 22 years. And I want to say he became president like, you know, when he was in his mid to late 40s. So if he's not 70, he's close. And, um, you know, the Russians, they like their leaders older. I mean, you know, he'll, he'll hang around for another 10 years. Yeah. So, you know, he'll, he'll make it through one and probably two more American presidents. Think about that. It's, it's a monarchy. He's the king. Yeah. Um, well, he, I mean, obviously, he cooked it up that way. So. Yeah. I, 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 Anyhow, I, I'm, I'm wildly underwhelmed. <laughs> By by the G seven and 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 also just to kind of tie it to our our oh, issue set, they pretty much yawned uh, in terms of making some headway on climate issues, right? Uh, they they completely backpedaled on the uh, global EV targets. Yeah, I mean, look, there's two things, right? There's there's only two issues left on climate change that are international in scope, right? Um, one of them is that $100 billion a year everybody pledged to give to countries in the South, right? Um, and the interesting thing about the G7 was nobody said a word about that. 
Nobody said a word about that. Hey, you know, weren't we supposed to give $100 billion to those guys? Um, and the other thing nobody said a word about is something we're going to spend the next five years fighting about, and that's the carbon border tax, right? Um, you know, the Europeans seem to be serious about it. Um, that's going to that's gonna pose a problem for the Biden administration who doesn't want to have a carbon tax conversation in this country. Right. But, you know, and nobody said a word about the carbon tax, the border adjustment um, at the G7. I'm just like, here's what we got at the G7. We got a non-statement for, about China, right? Um, and we got nothing on carbon border adjustment. And we got nothing on the $100 billion that everybody promised. I mean, all we got was a global minimum tax, which was desired mostly by the French and by Secretary Yellen. And, you know, it, it's, it's a terrible idea. You know, anytime you let the French set your tax policy, you can pretty much guess it's going to be a terrible idea, right? So, um, it, it, that was it. I mean, I, I was surprised they didn't even know why they wasted their time. I don't understand what, else, what they were hoping to accomplish. Yeah, this is from Bloomberg Green. G7 drops aim to shift new car sales from oil by 2030. Uh, group, group of seven nations backed away from the, the targets uh, for making sure most new cars sold are greener, instead pledging only to speed up efforts to move away from combustion engines in the final communique Sunday, which by the way, we don't use the word communique in this country uh, and it's annoying. But anyway, the block include an auto section that was far more modest than earlier versions being discussed. It pledged to do more to electrify the transport sector, but didn't set firm target dates. Again, your weekly podcast reminder that if these guys all believed that climate change was an existential threat to humanity, you would think that they were a little bit more concerned about this than merely setting targets. But hey, it is an existential threat. Don't minimize the struggle, Tom. Don't minimize the struggle. Just because it's not existential like you mean existential. You know what? We should have our own communicates. We should have our communicate. I guess it's quote unquote politically existential. Mike and Mike and Tom issued their own communique saying <laughs> if these guys believed it was an existential threat, they'd actually act like it was an existential threat, but they don't believe that. So staying on uh, our favorite issue of climate change for a moment, uh, just a quick update on the IEA. Uh, you remember their report? Uh, sure, man. So this, uh, this from PBS, an article in PBS, the IEA shocked the industry with its net zero by 2050 report on May 18th, saying investors should not fund new fossil fuel projects if the world wants to reach goals on reigning in emissions, causing rising temperatures by mid-century. Yeah. This roadmap, quote, this roadmap notes that most pledges by countries are not yet underpinned by near-term policies and measures, the EIA said on Friday. Uh, uh, ready for the kicker? Yeah. Oil demand looks set to continue to rise, underlining the enormous effort required to get on track to reach stated ambitions, unquote. I'm sorry, who said this? This was within a PBS article, and these uh. were... I, these are quotes from IEA. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder, like, you know, whether everybody views it 
as an existential threat. Um, in a similar uh, vein, in a similar vein, Lou um, Lou's group. What's the name of that outfit? Uh, Sweet Lou Peglarisi. Yeah, what's the name of his group? Eprink. Yeah, I'm sure that stands for something, though. Yeah, it's energy policy something research. Energy center. policy recidivism institute. Anyway, um, good good crew, good crew. Though. Yeah, so they put out a chart that was um, marginally comprehensible to me, um, but probably comprehensible to everybody who was good at statistics. Um, that showed the yield curves off energy bonds, and what it showed what the chart showed, I won't get into the chart because I can't, don't explain, I don't understand it well enough to explain it. What it showed was um, nobody in the marketplace is buying this. You know, everybody's still investing in energy projects, just like it's just like it was, you know, just like climate change wasn't an existential threat. And, um, you know, the, the um, which, which fits neatly in with my general theory of the world, which is all the data we have, all the data we have tells you no one's taking this seriously. There's literally yeah. no data that suggests anyone's taking this seriously. At some point, there's going to be some kind of reckoning between data and rhetoric. And I have no idea when it's going to be, but it's going to be there at some point. It is the, it is the least existential threat I've ever seen. Yeah. Anyway, that's a shout out to Lou. Yeah, we'll include that chart in the notes as well. Um... And, and to, to follow along, uh, I have another article from BBC, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, Swiss efforts to <laughs> curb climate change <laughs> has, has more going. holes than their favorite cheese. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's, anyway, this is a BBC news article uh, five days ago, but uh, uh, Switzerland's policy on fighting climate change has been thrown into doubt after voters rejected key measures in a popular vote. A referendum saw voters, voters, voters narrowly reject the government's plans for a car fuel levy and a tax on air tickets. Yeah, man. The measures yeah. were designed to help Switzerland meet targets under the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. Opponents also, uh, many were, voters appear to have worried about the impact of the economy on uh, as the country recovers from COVID, but also pointed out that Switzerland is responsible for only 0.1% of global emissions and expressed doubts that such policies would help the environment. Yeah, the great thing about Switzerland is um, they have national referendums, right? If you get if you get above a certain threshold, that you put the whole thing to a to a nationwide vote, right? Yeah. And again, again, <laughs> again with my theory that all the data is telling you something. This is another data fragment that's telling you something that you know the Swiss aren't even willing to pay a couple extra pennies um, for gasoline to do their part for climate change. Because the Swiss are eminently practical people living in um, large, cold mountains that will kill you quickly um, their whole lives. You get to be practical. They're like, that's ridiculous. It's not going to do anything. No, we're not doing it. My guess is if you put a vote, if you put this to a vote in the EU, it, it would lose. Right? If you put all this climate change stuff to a vote in the EU, it would lose. If you put it to the vote in the States, it would lose. Which is why, by the way, to bring, to bring the existentialism back to our threats, Senator Whitehouse and Senator Schatz dropped without any fanfare their carbon tax bill. Let's vote. 
Let's vote. Um, Let's vote. Let's the number vote. they the number they set it at was fifty four bucks a ton. Okay, so now if a, any reporter was worth their salt, they would call over to API and ask Mike Summers for a comment on that number. Yeah, yes or no. And the funny thing is, because the bill not only creates a carbon tax, but it tells you where you're going to spend, where, where you, it authorizes where you're going to spend the money. Guess what? You're not going to spend the money rebating it all to citizens. You're going to rebate some of it to, to, um, to uh, lower income citizens. But you're going to spend the rest of it giving it to government things. And there was no mention at all about regulation. I think it would be salutatory if somebody, if somebody called up API and said, hey, got a carbon tax, yes or no. You know, It's not everything you want, but it's something you want. You wanted a carbon tax. He gave you a carbon tax. Yeah, I mean, they need to comment on it, right? I mean, it, you know, it's a legitimate proposal from the majority party. I I'm just a simple country boy, but when a senator from Hawaii and a senator from Rhode Island, two opposite ends of the country, can agree to put an important piece of legislation about an existential threat on the, you know, in the hopper. Yeah, folks, folks, folks who are thought leaders like Mike Summers and Suzanne Clark over at the chamber, they should, they should have a, um, they should give them the courtesy of having an opinion. It's an existential threat, Tom. If you're not going to have an opinion about an existential threat, what are you going to have an opinion about? Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, do you want to switch gears and talk about infrastructure for a little bit? I'm happy to talk about infrastructure. Let's, let's update our viewers on the very latest and greatest from Capitol Hill and the White House. Yeah, uh, we have 21 senators on this on this. Um, centrist deal it's got 579 billion dollars in new spending put the new in quotes because none of it's really new um, it's a mishmash of stuff that's already been rejected like indexing the gas tax or um spending unspent stimulus money right the biden guys have already rejected that um, stuff that doesn't score like um increased irs enforcement right so that's out or stuff that's completely unworkable in infrastructure development bank, which is a popular idea, but no one's ever figured out how to make it work. Uh, leave that aside. Um, administration hasn't said they hate it, even though it's just one less than one third of what they originally proposed. We're at a we're at a moment here, right? If this thing th this thing could take off in the next fifteen days and become become the vehicle, right? Progressives see that too, which is why they started to attack it about three days ago. Right, because there's not enough climate in there. You know, President's original proposal had 174 billion for electric vehicles. This thing has 15 billion dollars for electric vehicles. That is still a huge amount of money. I mean, how how are they going to spend and buses and buses, right? Which means most of that 15 billion is going to go to cities, right? Um, to buy electric buses. Yeah, which are they going to light on fire? So I, you know, I don't worry about electric buses. I'm like, sure, buy all you want. They're pieces of junk. Um, I mean, the geo uh, Barrasso last Congress agreed to two billion, and they doubled it to four. Yeah, it, and it, now the small cadre of Republicans is, is, you know, signed off on fifteen. Is that the new floor? Yeah, I could live with fifteen. Look, oh, if my choice if my choice is one hundred seventy five or fifteen, I'm going to take fifteen every time, right? Oh. Jeez, and then um, there was a time when fifteen billion dollars was a lot of money. Yeah, well, that was back. That was like two years ago, Tom. Get over it. Um, so, so um, 
here's the tricky thing. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. No joke. Here's the tricky thing. This thing's either going to wind up with 80 guys in the Senate who are in favor of it or nobody in the Senate who's in favor of it. We should know in a couple of weeks. If e- either way, it's a bad answer for the administration, right? Because this, this is going to be it. You know, they're all like, well, we'll do some other things in reconciliation. You know, we'll put all that Americans' family stuff, plan stuff in reconciliation. No way. Either this thing goes as the whole deal or it goes as, you know, it doesn't go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody reporting on this completely understands it, that how the Senate works is, this is the deal. You know, nobody's going to sign on to a deal if they think they're going to get jammed on a reconciliation, you know, three weeks later. So yeah, no, I mean, if they if they get this through, then that that's, that's a, that, right. That's the message is that's it. you're not going to mess with us. Yeah, there's too many of us for you to mess with in in a reconciliation. Uh, yeah, what the, you know, the other risk to the administration is is that now that they've activized the activated the progressives, um, you could wind up in a situation where this deal might not happen and reconciliation might not happen. Where nothing happens. Yeah, it would be ideal, obviously. Um, and, and you know, because you now have progressives out there, we're not going to be in favor of this deal. You know, are they? Do they have enough to kill it? I don't know. Probably in the House they do. Um, and you, you have a, um, you're going to have a world in which there's about a dozen moderate Democrats who are like, look, this is what we're voting for. We're not voting for a great big giant reconciliation package. Plus. You didn't, you know, nobody paid attention to this, but it's relevant. Um, yesterday, five House Democrats sent a letter to Nancy Pelosi. It says, you can't really vote to increase the debt ceiling unless we've stabilized the debt, the incurrence of debt, right? You know, they might as well have just said, look, we're not voting for this reconciliation thing. You know, this, this great big giant package you have in your head, this $6 trillion mm-hmm. thing, we're not doing that. Um, so she's getting cross pressures from all kinds of different things. I think there's like a one in six or seven chance that everything craters, the whole thing falls apart. I think there's probably a two or three chance in seven that we're going to get a deal. And there's a, the, the chance of us getting a big reconciliation deal is shrinking every day. I don't think that they can get this through the house uh i already saw a couple of the lefties uh on an interview i think it was with cnn that would be the likely suspect but uh aoc was already chirping about it uh basically saying this is this is this is uh you know not helping out uh my people basically and um you know uh it's a giveaway to corporate you know corporate interests so Rich white folks from Westchester County? No, no. Her people are now from Brooklyn and Queens. You know that. Or the Bronx and Queens. I'm sorry. So She grew up in Westchester. Yeah, well, I mean, people change, Mike. Sandy, Sandy is now Alexandria. Alexandra, okay. I grew, up in, I, grew up in, I grew up in the Bronx. She grew up in Westchester. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. But anyway, the point is, is you're right. I mean, I don't see the, the, the progressives signing off to this milk toast deal so uh nancy's got her, her hands full if if unless she can peel off i mean unless a bunch of republicans support it i mean it might be the opposite problem that that uh might be the similar same deal that boehner same go-to playbook from boehner remember anytime yeah. he needed to he needed to actually pass something he just bypassed his caucus and yeah. asked nancy to drum up a few votes for him so there there's no way um 
I think the Republicans fully understand that the entire presidency is now in the balance and that if, if he can't get anything through here, he's finished. He's finished. And you know, the, the thing is, and I, and, and I wrote this in my column, it's going to run on Monday. The, the thing is, is that um, this is a direct result of running a campaign about nothing, right? He ran a campaign about nothing. So nobody's afraid of him because he has no mandate to do any of this stuff. So the progressives aren't afraid of him and the moderates sure as hell aren't afraid of him. Nobody's afraid of him showing up in their state or district and saying, you know, this guy didn't help me when I needed it. Just like, well, yeah, no one's even excited. worried he's going to go there. Yeah. In the first place. <laughs> so. yeah. It, it, you know, he ran and it wasn't like his campaign was like, vote for me and I'm going to get you an infrastructure package of a trillion and a half dollars. Right. You know, he's not he's not going to go to somebody's, you know, somebody's district and say, you all voted for me to do this because nobody voted for him to do anything. So it, it's a it's a um, I'm really in a way I'm pretty geeked up about it because it looks like the process, the electoral process and the legislative process are working like they're supposed to. You know? Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that because I yes, it is quite a relief. Um, because as you know, I was far more worried, um, about it than you were simply because it seemed to me that they were just sort of rewriting the rules, uh, you know, as they went along, but they, they can't, they, they can only go so far and, and this is playing itself out. I don't think this original ele- uh, 10 plus the new 11 I don't think they're that so clever as to that they think that this is the way to blow everything up, but this could be the result, fortunately, for the Republic, quite honestly. And I was, I was, I was surprised and gratified at that letter from the five Democrats about the debt ceiling, right? Because debt ceiling is going to ripen in the fall. So, you know, this is not a, this is not something to worry about two years from now. This debt ceiling vote is, is, is getting on the horizon, right? Everyone's starting to see it. And those five, those five Democrats, they wanted to put it out there and say, hey, don't, don't just count on us to vote for lifting the, the debt ceiling. You know, we're not, we're not going to do that unless we, can, unless we can show some stabilization of the debt. Um, it's, it's a, you know I'm not a particularly large fan of anything described as bipartisan. Um, what it is for these guys, those five, I think they're um, four, four boys and a girl, Four men and a woman. Four men. Four men. Four men. Yeah, four men and a wo- and a woman. Persons. Persons. Thank you. Those five, the eleven Democrats who are now in the middle of this thing in the Senate. You know, we we sometimes look we kid around a lot, but there's people on all sides of this thing who worry about this country, who want to do what's right, um, and that 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 should not be overlooked, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, is, is 15 billion for electric vehicles more than you and I would spend? Yeah. Is it less than Joe Biden would spend? Considerably. Um, you know, is it something the process is going to wind up at? I don't know. Maybe it'll wind up at 25. Maybe it'll wind up at two. Um, yeah. And it's not the, it's not the worst. I mean, you know, again, just to remind folks, our beef is not with EVs. Our beef is not with wind. Our beef is not with solar. Our beef is with this forced government transition you know which which leads to uh you know the the unreliability that we're seeing again in texas and 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 it hurts people right i mean it's you know the average price of an automobile now thirty five thousand bucks 
who gets priced out of the automobile field, right? Who, who gets priced out of that? Not you, not me. We've yeah. made our bones, right? Uh, it's the lady who's trying to claw together enough to buy a car so that she can expand her business. Yeah, it, right? it, 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 um, I think members are sensitive to that, right? They, members and senators, I'm tremendously encouraged, right? This is how the process is supposed to work. Guys are supposed to, um, you know, our representatives are supposed to say, look, here's my bounds, right? Here's my lower bound, here's my upper bound. And then preferences get aggregated and we move forward. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. But like you say, it's kind of a rules-based system, right? We all live within the rules. And, and the, the letter from the five Democrats was all about, let's try to live within the damn rules here. Yeah. Uh, which I wish there had been 50 of them. But you know what? Um, better to light a candle and curse the darkness. Yeah, and also in this, and you know, with the breakdown the way it is, it doesn't take fifty yet. Doesn't need. Take, doesn't. Takes five. That's her margin. She's got a margin of four. So those five just got up and said, "Yeah, don't count on us." And Republicans are watching this. You know, we're thinking, okay, well, you know, we just need to keep doing what we're doing, and things are going to happen. You know, good things are going to happen. So uh, can I shift gears? Are we, uh, did we yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, get that yeah. to bed? Yeah, yeah. So I want to play a little clip. Uh, I want to bring up the border again. I think it's worth talking about. There's been a couple developments there. But first, let me play what, what uh, uh, you now are, I believe, coming to enjoy the little supercuts that I've been able to, <laughs> to find out there in the, in the ether. We've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. Uh, and I haven't been to Europe. <laughs> Listen, I ha I've been to the border before. I will go again. But when I'm in Guatemala, <laughs> dealing with root causes, I think we should have a conversation about what's going on in Guatemala. So can you commit right now that you will indeed visit the U.S.-Mexico border and will you do it soon? Jeremy, let me tell you something. Yes, I will. And I have before. I've said I'm going to go to the border. And I, when are you going to the border, the Vice President? The administration has asked. I'm not finished. <laughs> I've said I'm going to the border. It's just a little cringeworthy. And, um, I, and I know that her allies in the White House and elsewhere are watching it and just kind of wondering what is going on. How poorly did this go for her and her first foray onto the world stage. Well, it certainly didn't go the way the White House wanted it to go. Uh, and again, immigration, as you mentioned, Harry, is a hot potato no one wants to touch. And, and Harris has been dealt it. And so she has to handle now what Biden had to handle when he was VP, which is uh, relationships with the Northern Triangle. And of course, Republicans have been trying to clump that in with the border and the border situation and attacking her on that. Now, did the trip go the way they wanted? No. In 2024, 2028, whenever, if she decides to run, are people going to remember this trip? I don't really think so. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, this is one event. Maybe it's the first, but it's one. But there are some broader questions about, uh, is this part of a pattern? I mean, even in the campaign, uh, she struggled with press interviews, uh, had some major flip-flops on the campaign trail. I mean, is this part of a pattern for her? And it, should it be troubling to her advisors and allies and people who want her to succeed that it's still happening even as vice president? So those were all cut from CNN. Uh, and so basically, uh, her her allies are, are beginning to express the uh, the concern uh, about her ability to 
manage a message. Um, but did you catch that beginning part? Which one? Where Which she one? tried to deflect and talk about how, you know, oh, yeah, root causes. Yeah, root causes. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, yeah. Let, let me, <laughs> before we get into it, let me tell you what uh, the Guatemalans thought of, of her visit. The president of Guatemala uh, basically said, I'll pull an article up here. We asked the United States government to send a more clear message to prevent more people from leaving. When Biden took office, comma, quote, the message changed to, we're going to reunite families. We're going to reunite children, he said. The very next day, the coyotes were there organizing groups of children to take them to the United States. So she's, she's really, uh, really kicking butt on root causes there. Yeah, it, um, I want to say this as carefully as I can. There's a reason why she was out before, um, before the first primary in, in, 20, in 2020, right? You know, she's not very good. I, I, I assume she's a confident prosecutor and did a good job there. But this stuff, she's not very good at it. You know, the more I see of her, the more I think, okay, you know, some people are good at this, some people aren't. Don't make a bad person that you're not good. She's not good. I'm certain now, and you and I have said this for oh, five months, six months now, there's going to be a primary on the Democratic side in 2024. There's going to be a primary for sure. Um, they, are, they are not going to, um, you know, he, the president's not going to run, and they are not going to um, just, just, you know, give her a coronation. They're, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna be people who want to run and will run in 2024. Yeah. I'll look forward to it. The New York Post article from a couple of weeks back, which I'll put in the show notes, has a bunch of images of um, signs. <laughs> Kamala, Trump won. Kamala, go home. Mind your own business, right? <laughs> so it, it, in my head, I kept, you know, that I don't know if you ever caught the uh, uh, Evita, the movie, or, you know, you know the story, but yeah. the, the, the her European tour, how, like, <laughs> They were all so excited about it, <laughs> and it was just a co complete and total bust, right? Like, yeah. I, I so. mean, you know, the thing about it is, you now have um, two Republican governors who are going to run in twenty twenty four, who are now stronger on the border than she is, and that's yeah. a, that, that's a huge problem for the Harris thing. The other thing that struck me about that clip is there was one phrase in there: um, Vice President Harris and her allies in the White House. Yeah. I, her what? I, yeah. Are there, are there somebody, is there some people in the White House who aren't her ally? Um, it, it, it suggests that, you know, there, there's probably people in there who are like, eh, I'm not wild about this answer. Um, you know, it, it, it was just a weird phrase, right? It leads, yeah. it, it leads you to think, okay, there's a split about what to do about this. Yeah, definitely. And, and, Thank you for bringing it up because that's the other thing that I wanted to mention is you've got uh, Abbott and DeSantis basically doing what the federal government is responsible for doing voluntarily. Yeah, man. Right. Which is great politics and also good for the country, right? We keep saying, you know, uh, when is when is DeSantis going to, you know, f flame out here or when are we going to have a bad week? He hasn't had one yet. I mean, 
Well, it's it's funny, right? So I had I had the occasion to have um, coffee with a couple of his advisors earlier this week. They were in town, and um, outside guys, right? And they were they were asking, "What do you, you know? You know, Greg Abbott's got ahead of on the border thing. How does he adjust?" And you know, I'm like, "I don't know. It's Florida." I said, "Build a seawall in Miami, I, whatever, you know." And I I don't know. And then the next day, right, late in the next day, it came out, hey, we're going to send whatever, Florida State cops, National Guard, I don't know who he sent. We're going to send them to Texas to defend the border in Texas. And I was just like, I mean, I get it, right? The border is a problem for all of us, everybody. But I thought to myself, this guy DeSantis, he, he, um, he's a lot like Trump in one respect. He takes it right to the edge. Yeah. You know, he, he looks at the world. He looks at the world in, in a very similar way. He's like, I'm going to get accused of taking it to the edge anyway. I might as well just go to the damn edge. But also, he's not afraid to, to move. Like, you know, I yeah. mean, he's not afraid to make a move. He's not, afraid, yeah. like I said, not yeah. frozen by polls and, and, you know, focus groups and testing and this and that. And I, I said this to a, the kid who, who, uh, who invited me to the game, uh, my what my mother's cousin and uh, his his son, and he's into politics big time. Like he's totally here. And, you know, he was on the Trump train here in Nevada. And then he went out to Virginia to help the governor there, uh, the, the uh, elect, gov- uh, the, the Republican nominee. What's his name? Yonkin? Yeah, Glenn Yonkin. Yeah. Anyway, he wants to get in politics. And, you know, he said that the you know, he's got some health issues and the doctor warned him about stress. And, and I said, you know what, you don't have to, my advice to him was, I don't know, I, I've been around the sport for a long time. And I have known a lot of different characters, a lot of different profiles. And I have never seen a politician stressed out uh, who came in with a clear idea of what they wanted and did it and just acted and used their political capital to do that, right? Win or lose, and the chances are they never lost. They, they did it all on their own terms, right? And if they lost because of it, they got a ton of respect for it, right? Yeah. So, and, and they moved on with their lives, right? For the yeah. most part. So that that's what I see in him. That's what I see, you know, and it's not, it's not as often, it's not as common, but uh, it's definitely uh, it's definitely an attribute that can get you very far in this sport. So I agree, I agree totally. And, you know, it, it, and I think Trump started. You know, the, one of the things that President Trump did was he um, showed everybody that that could work, and he empowered a bunch of people who weren't in the process. Like, hey, man, get in, do your thing. You know, it it, and you know, a guy like DeSantis, you know, he was in, but. You know, he, he's taken all the lessons to heart. Just, just, just don't worry about it. Take it to the wall, act quick, you know, don't second guess yourself, make it happen, shake it up. It, it, it's all, it's all, um, it's all good stuff. It really is. I mean, I sending guys to Texas, I'm not sure is great, but eh, I don't think it hurts him either. Right. And, you know, do your homework, which clearly he does. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So this came up. Since we talked last, uh, there's been a little skirmish in the Democratic caucus, which, um, again, tied back to Israel and Palestinian uh, equation. 
Uh, and uh, we have Nancy on uh, CNN's State of the Union. Woman Ilhan Omar. Yeah. You and other top House Democrats released a, a pretty rare statement rebuking her for appearing to, quote, draw false equivalencies between the United States and Israel and terrorist organizations, Hamas and Taliban. She clarified, she said that uh, she was in no way equating them. But since all of that happened, she and others don't seem to be letting this go. Rashida Tlaib, uh, one of her close friends, member of your caucus, tweeted the following. Freedom of speech doesn't exist for Muslim women in Congress. The benefit of the doubt doesn't exist for Muslim women in Congress. Okay, you know, House Democratic I, I, leadership should be ashamed. But let me just say this. Yeah. We did not uh, rebuke her. We thanked, uh, uh, acknowledged that she made a clarification. So mm -hmm. before we go too far down the path. Yeah, I'm, but these aren't my words. No, these are, these are your caucus members' that, words. No, that, that's a member. Yeah. That's a caucus member. A caucus member. member. A caucus member. Yeah, so I just wanted to get yeah. your response and I'm sorry, to that. No, no, I'm not. I'm not responding. That we, the the Congresswoman Omar, is a valued member of our caucus. She asked her questions of the Secretary of State. Nobody criticized those about how people will be held accountable if we're not going to the International Court of Justice. That was a very legitimate question. Mm -hmm. That was not of concern. Members did become concerned when the, the uh, tweet that was put out equated the United States with the Taliban. And Hamas. Rashida Tlaib is accusing and, of policing and, women. And, of and, and then she clarified it. Mm -hmm. And we thanked her for clarification. So do you want people to just let it go? They, they, they can say whatever they want. But what I'm saying is, is end of subject. She clarified. We thanked her. End of subject. What other people go out and say is up to them. But it, it is what we, what happened is a reflection of the respect we have for our member and when she made her questions at the hearing, but the disagreement that we have to equate the United States of America with Hamas and the Taliban. Before I let you go, I want to look overseas, look ahead to this week. Yeah. President Biden has a big meeting. All righty. So, yeah. So I don't think uh, it, it, it's, you know, the, 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 um, the Democrats are fairly confident that they're going to run uh, 2022 campaign trying to tie all the Republicans to um, Congresswoman Taylor Greene. Um, and I think what they're going to find out is they're going to wind up spending a huge chunk of their time explaining why they didn't censure um, Congresswoman Omar, um, Omar Tlaib. Omar! Um, I think... And, yeah, but Talib is the one who said that the the Democratic she. You, by the way, you saw her talk over um, Pelosi. Talk over the tweet. Speaker, Speaker Pelosi does that in every interview. Yeah. She gets she gets away with it because you know she's a she's a grandmother and a speaker and all that other stuff. If if any if any Republican male tried that, um, you know, it'd be on the nightly news. Yeah, it, it, it's one of my favorite things. It pisses me off. And you know, the other thing is pisses off the press guys too they're all fully aware of it um anyway we're here, the, the, the pattern though with that is 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 with all the other stuff a these guys don't like getting any legitimately you know uh tough question from yeah. any of them right yeah. two she she never she will never uh, I mean, her whole MO is righteous indignation. 
right? Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because, well, let me just finish the thought here and then we'll get to the righteous indignation of the day, right, of the week. These Congresswomen um, have been in this situation before, right, where, where, um, where Jewish members of the Democratic caucus were, were offended by something they said. The difference here is, is that um, Omar included the United States in this, right? She said, hey man, Hamas, Taliban, United States, Israel, it's all the same. Um, every member of the caucus who's up for re-election in, in, in any kind of competitive race is gonna get a chance to, gonna get asked that, right? Yeah. Everyone's gonna be like, yes or no? Yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. Why didn't you vote to expel her from the caucus? Why didn't you vote to expel her from like her committees? Um, so, and, and you know, QAnon is whatever they are, right? They're, you know, as best I can tell, a bunch of mildly deranged psychotics, but, um, you know, they have no effect at all on American policy. Um, Congresswoman Omar, is talking about something right in dead center of American polity, right? Um, you know, how we interact with our with our, our friends and enemies in the Middle East. It's a very touchy thing. Um, and it's been a touchy thing for 50 years. So um, it's a problem for Speaker Pelosi. Okay, you, you want the you want the you want the outrage of the day? The the outraged Speaker Pelosi of the day? Yeah, let's go for it. Some reporter asked her on like Tuesday, I think, or Wednesday, you know, you're a, you're, a, you're a Roman Catholic. How can you be in favor of abortion at 15 weeks? Because the Mississippi law, yep. you know, doesn't let you abort a, a child beyond 15 weeks. And Speaker Pelosi managed to not answer the question. She harumphed and said, as a, as a mother who gave birth to five children in a six-year period, I think I do some respect with my, with, you know, do some deference with respect to my opinions about abortion or right or right to life issues, maybe, and uh, right life issues. Um, women's procreative rights, that's what she said, procreative rights, um, and, and harumphed off and didn't answer the question. <laughs> and I was just like, wait, 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 wait. Can we have that? Can we have the answer to the question now that you've like, you know, given your, do you know who I am statement? Yeah. yeah, we know who you are. We know exactly who you are. Yeah, well, her and Biden are two devout Catholics, right? Who, uh, you know, uh, don't forget Biden carries his rosary. Got a rosary, Tom. And and what has he done uh, to accelerate uh, abortion uh, in the, in the, uh, in, at the federal level uh, in, in a short period in office? So His budget does not include the Hyde Amendment. I just want to point that out. Um, well, you know, um, I want to, I want to say that the um, Bo Bojo's request to build back better in a more feminine way, I think, I, I think it's, it's already happening, Mike. What do you mean? <laughs> do tell. Okay, well, I'll give you an example. It appears that Alex Rodriguez Oh. has launched his own line of oh, yeah, I saw for men. <laughs> this is a little bit old gang but I, I we kept i kept forgetting it but i wanted to pop it in there uh, it's the best following his breakup with j-lo a-rod is going for a glow up the former baseball pro 45 teamed up with hims and hers the beauty and wellness company in which he and lopez 51 
became investors together to develop the brand's first makeup for men. Oh. Quote, I wanted to create a product that solved an issue I faced every day. An issue, an issue. I realized <laughs> as I was jumping from meeting to meeting, I need something quick and easy in my routine to conceal blemishes or razor bumps. Rodrigo <laughs> shared on, uh, on Instagram Thursday. Is this dude a guy? <laughs> Enter the blur stick. A convenient concealer, especially designed for men that can be caused for skin imperfections. Check it out. I think you'll be surprised how often it uh, comes in handy. Oh, this is so bad. I just, <laughs> I, you know, if you, the thing is, if you're going to sell men's makeup, you should probably pick somebody a little bit more um, masculine, to borrow from my friend Boris Johnson. Pick somebody a little more masculine to sell it. I mean, you, Alex Rodriguez is halfway to being a girl as it is. I, I, <laughs> I, get a hockey player. Get like yeah, man. Hockey. Get somebody get who's like, get Ovechkin to to, to yeah. promote it. Yeah, it's just like, hey, look, you know, all right, you're not always at your best. Here's a little face cream, make you feel better in the middle of the day, get you back on your horse so you can make it to hockey practice later on in the night. But you know, I, <laughs> gotta love A-Rod, man. He's just, you know, he's just doing his thing. He's just doing him. He, you do you, A-Rod, keep it going. Um, you know, speaking of hockey, uh, I didn't mention this in the beginning, but you know, I think we're getting really organized here because we're going full circle. Uh, let me tell you one other thing, uh, other than the production factor at that game. Yeah. It was full. Sure. Sold out. And I could count the masks on my hands. It's I'm telling you, man. And the only ones who were wearing them were the like the ones who were required to in the in the arena, the folks selling the hot dogs and everything. It's Vegas. Anybody in Vegas and, has already given up on their lives. They don't care anymore. They're in Vegas. <laughs> Whatever the reason, man, you you know, there was no there was COVID. What COVID? I know we don't talk much about that anymore, but I I, I found it both refreshing and uh, I think refreshing. That people back home would have blown a gasket. But I mean, seriously, who in the world goes to Vegas to, you know, live their best life or get healthy or whatever? I mean, it's, it's where you go to die. It's where you go to either get drunk, die, or lose all your money. No, nope. you know, nobody's like, hey, let's go to Vegas to like improve our lives. You know, we'll we'll, we'll start or, or or move from California because you're sick of it. What's well, going on? No, you move to Reno if you're gonna move from California. Yeah. Nobody says, hey man. Let's go to Vegas and do some yoga and meditate and center and save some money. And, you know, it, it, it is a town built for Alex Rodriguez. Okay. Because I can't, I couldn't possibly find a better um, clip. I want to play the full version of Bojo at the G7 to, to wrap us up. Okay. <laughs> All right, here we go, gang. Your clip of the day. But it is vital that we don't repeat the mistake of the last great crisis, the last great economic recession in 2008, uh, when the recovery was not uniform across all parts of society. And I think what's gone wrong with this uh, pandemic or what risks being a, a lasting uh, scar is that I think the inequalities may be entrenched. And we need to make sure that as we recover, we level up 
across our societies and we, we build back better. And I actually think that we have a huge opportunity to do that because as G7, we are united in our, our vision for a cleaner, greener world, a solution to the problems of climate change. And in those ideas, in those technologies, in which we're all addressing together, I think there, are the, there is the potential to generate many, many millions of high-wage, high-skill jobs. And I think that is what uh, the people of, the, uh, of our countries now want us to, to focus on. They want us to be sure that we're beating the pandemic together and discussing how we'll never have a repeat of what we've seen, but also that we're building back better together and, and building back greener and building back fairer and building back more equal and uh, I more, in, in, in a more gender neutral and <laughs> a more feminine way <laughs> apart from anything else. So uh, those are some of the objectives that we have before us at, at Carbis Bay. Thank you all very, very much. I'm now going to uh, ask the, our friends from the media very, very kindly to, uh, to leave us. Okay. So, I mean, the imagery is perfect too, right? Because you got all these white, old white people sitting around this table while getting lectured by a guy who simply is incapable of combing his hair. Can't comb his hair. You know what he so needs? Thanks, Bojo. Thank you, Bojo. I think I used to love this guy. Ugh. You know what he needs? What the G7 needs? Alex Rodriguez. Come on. Bring in the All mix. right, ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap <laughs> for this week. Episode number 41 in the books. See you next week. Yeah.